Catskill. Local news, culture, and NPR. Live from the WJFF studios in Liberty, New York, this is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. On today's show, Sullivan County Government Communications Director Dan Hoost is here with the latest from the legislature. Catskill Art Space is celebrating Black History Month tomorrow with a performance that includes acclaimed jazz musician Thurman Barker with a lecture and performance of African-American composers. We'll speak to Thurman later. The Bethel Business Association is hosting the first ever Bethel Big Burn tomorrow evening at the Alton Distillery on Route 17B. We'll learn more. And we're debuting new locally produced music shows this week. Electric Mountain with Jeff Barnes features the best in electronic dance music from back in the day to today. We'll get a preview from Jeff and dance the morning away. But first, the news from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Korva Coleman. Prison officials in Russia say opposition leader Alexei Navalny has died in an Arctic penal colony. They say they're investigating his cause of death. Navalny had been in shaky health after surviving poisoning that he blamed on the Russian government. The Kremlin denied it. But Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the Russian government and leader Vladimir Putin always feared Navalny's opposition to their regime. His death in a Russian prison and the fixation and fear of one man only underscores the weakness and rot at the heart of the system that Putin has built. Russia is responsible for this. We'll be talking to many other countries concerned about Alexei Navalny. There's additional heavy criticism from European leaders. German leaders say Navalny fought for a free Russia and he paid for it with his life. President Biden's national security advisor says he talked with House Speaker Mike Johnson yesterday about approving U.S. aid for Ukraine. NPR's Steve Inskeep reports the aid package is stuck in the House after passing the Senate. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan met House leaders to discuss a Russian anti-satellite capability, as it's being called. Sullivan tells NPR they also talked about aid to Ukraine, on which the Speaker has yet to schedule a vote. Speaker Johnson told me directly yesterday that he would like to see a vote on Ukraine aid as well as the other elements of aid in the supplemental for Israel, for the Indo-Pacific, and so forth. Um, How that happens, when that happens, (laughs) that's a matter of enormous interest to myself, to President Biden, and to the Ukrainian people. Many Republicans favor more aid, but their party leader, Donald Trump, opposes a Senate bill that would provide it. Steve Inskeep, NPR News, Washington. Stocks opened lower this morning as the Commerce Department reported a steep drop in home-building activity last month. NPR's Scott Horsley reports the Dow Jones Industrial Average slipped about 130 points in early trading. Builders broke ground on almost 15 percent fewer homes in January than they did the month before. Much of the drop was in apartment construction. Single-family housing starts fell nearly 5 percent. Frigid weather may have accounted for some of the slowdown. It's harder to break ground when the ground is frozen. Permits, which are a guide to future single-family home building, were slightly higher. A survey released this week by the National Association of Home Builders found confidence rising for the third month in a row. The association predicts that single-family home construction will increase by about 5 percent this year. Mortgage rates inched up this week to about six and three quarters percent, but builders expect rates to moderate in the coming year. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. On Wall Street, the Dow is now down about 116 points. The Nasdaq is down 135. This is NPR. Mourners in Kansas City, Missouri, gathered for a vigil last night honoring the woman who died and more than 20 others injured in a mass shooting on Wednesday. Three victims remain in critical condition. NPR's Brian Mann reports that two juveniles are being held after the violence. Isabella Videz joined dozens of people here holding candles and holding each other. She was at the parade a day earlier for the Kansas City Chiefs that was supposed to be a celebration for their Super Bowl win. I'm 23. I grew up when Sandy Hook happened. It feels like nothing ever changes. And I just, I wanted to come out because it's like, it's a very lonely feeling. And I didn't want to be alone. The crowd honored Lisa Lopez Galvan, the 43-year-old mother, community leader and radio host who died in the shooting. 
Police say two juveniles are being held but haven't been identified or charged yet with any crimes. Brian Mann, NPR News, Kansas City. President Biden will visit East Palestine, Ohio today. That's where a Norfolk Southern freight train derailed last year and spilled toxic chemicals in a fiery disaster. Many people had to evacuate. Chris Hunsicker of Norfolk Southern says the railway has worked hard to repair the damage. The majority of the soil removal work, you know, cleaning up the track work, removal of that soil, that's all been done for a few months now. We wrapped that up at the end of October. President Biden has been criticized for not visiting East Palestine earlier. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg did visit the city soon after the fiery disaster. I'm Corva Coleman, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Wallace Foundation, working to develop and share practices that can improve learning and enrichment for young people and the vitality of the arts for everyone. Ideas and information at wallacefoundation.org. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. It's Friday, and Dan Hoost is here from Sullivan County Government. He's the Communications Director to bring us the latest from the legislature. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. How are you? Good. Thanks for, for coming. You were uh, off last week. We had a, a substitute in. Yes. Terry you, did a great job. Yeah, I'm, I was pleased about all of that. So uh, soon enough, you guys will get to meet all the legislators here on this program because uh, I do want to have all nine come and yeah. Talk to you at some point or another, and then oh, you really? can ask them the real tough questions. There you go. Like, what'd you have for breakfast? <laughs> uh, I'll channel my inner Mike Wallace. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's talk about what's going on uh, in Monticello. Uh, there was a legislative meeting uh, recently this week, uh, yesterday, right? Yesterday. And yep. uh, what were some of the news out of that? Uh, the big news probably was that they finally settled on a county attorney. Uh, that was something in limbo since um, uh, Mike McGuire did not return as the county attorney. And with this new legislature, they wanted somebody else. And so for, uh, what, a month and a half, we had an acting county attorney, Robert Freehill, who had been brought in under Mike, uh, but had been working there as, I think, an assistant county attorney was his title before that for a couple of years in the county attorney's office. He's a retired Orange County judge, Orange County court judge, and also acting Supreme Court judge uh, for the state down in Orange County. He had been. And he uh, was eventually the one selected by legislators yesterday to be the permanent county attorney, or at least until the end of this legislature's term, or if he decides he wants to move on. But he's already actually technically retired from his work in Orange County. He's moving to Sullivan County because he needs to fulfill that residency requirement as part of it but he is as of yesterday afternoon the uh, a county attorney no more acting in front of his title let's remind listeners the distinction between the county attorney and the district attorney yes that is a good point the district attorney is basically the prosecutor for the people uh, acts uh, in a prosecutorial role the county attorney is the attorney for county government so, for example, me being a county employee, he's actually my attorney. He's the attorney for the legislators. The district attorney is not. Uh, if the if charges were brought against a county employee, the district attorney would be prosecuting and the county attorney would be defending. That's the easiest way to put it. Yeah. Um, I, uh, we, we, when we talk, uh, today, you usually send me some bullet points of things that you want to mention. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you want to mention is, uh, one of my favorite bullet points I've seen in a while, mass correction of errors. (laughs) What's, what mass correction of errors has occurred? I remember when I first saw this years ago as a neophyte reporter for the Democrat covering county legislature, I was like, Ooh, this sounds like a big and juicy juicy. story. (laughs) It actually isn't. It has this very dramatic language, but it's something that happens from time to time. There are mistakes made. It was not made on the county side. There were mistakes made at the town level, various towns, in uh, assessing uh, properties and taxing properties. And when there's enough of those, they instead of just a correction of errors, they become a mass correction of errors. And this is presented to the legislature by our, by our Real Property Tax Services office, headed by Chris Knapp, a very capable guy. He's He knows numbers and maps better than anyone I know. And he works with the town assessors and the tax collectors and the leadership to just make sure, okay, this is what wasn't right. 
we've got to fix this. Sometimes he finds the issue. Sometimes they find the issue. Regardless, they work together on this. This is not something where we're interested in playing any kind of blame game. We're interested in getting it right. And I think the taxpayers are too, because they want to be paying what they should be paying. Of course, not all the time are the taxes actually higher than they should be. Sometimes they're lower than they should be. I'm sorry, folks, but fair is fair. And that's what the legislature had to vote on yesterday. Several people were like, mass correction of errors. What is this? Run for the hills. No, it was just a number of errors from some software glitches, some things that happened at the town level. And we have to fix it at the county level to make sure that not only are the town taxes assessed correctly, but the county taxes with them. Some spring cleaning in February. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Charter Review Commission, uh, what's the latest update there? Well, it's sort of a two-parter with that. We are required by the county's charter, which is its founding document, sort of like the U.S. Constitution. And we are charged by that with having a review, a commission to review it, appointed by the legislature every 10 years. And since the legislature first was formed in 1995, it's on that middle of every decade that we have to form another commission. And we're coming up, I can't believe it, but we are coming up on 2025 already, almost the middle of the 2020s. Um, and so we have to start working on creating another charter review commission. The resolution to create the last one happened in 2014. Well, we're in 2024. So later this year, we will have that resolution. And of course, now is when legislators have to be figuring out who's going to sit on that commission. Last time, they don't have to follow this, but last time, they had one person uh, from each legislative district. The legislators themselves don't sit on it. This is a commission to be an advisory committee to the legislature. However, but long before all that is going to happen, they want the immediate past Charter Review Commission to come present to the legislature about what they recommended last time because many of the legislators on there now were not on the legislature when the commission presented. Some were. Uh, the two big things that they presented were staggered terms, meaning not all nine legislator positions are up for election at the same time. You might have three one year, three another, and three the next, for example. Uh, they got very close to approving that last time, but at least one legislator, I think, finally didn't like the way it was. Somebody always gets the short straw on that uh, because you have to go for a shorter term. So that didn't happen. And the other one was county executive which is something that's been talked about a lot in the county. It's a controversial concept, but it continues to be brought up where people think maybe we should have an elected county executive uh, voted in by the people rather than an appointed county manager who is chosen by the legislature. There are definitely pros and cons on both sides of that. I'm not getting into that here, <laughs> maybe one day, but the Charter Review Commission, they probably will talk about it at uh, the, I believe, the March 21st uh, full board meeting of the legislature, they're going to come and make a presentation and talk about why they recommended these things almost 10 years ago. If you're just joining us, we're speaking to Dan Hoost. He's the communications director for Sullivan County Government and joins us every Friday for an update uh, when, with what's happening in the legislature. Uh, so it sounds like some business uh, stuff that had to happen, uh, but also there were some other topics uh, discussed with the Council of Local Governments. Yes. Uh, what, what's, what, what is the Council of Local Governments and, and what was discussed? This is another thing that's mandated by the charter, but uh, many a past legislator or legislature has not convene this on a regular basis. It's it's hard to get people together to to meet on this when everybody is is so busy, but the charter actually mandates that uh, quarterly this council of local governments meets. And it was I think the initial idea when when the legislature was formed by the the founding fathers and mothers was that the legislators since they were replacing a board of supervisors would need to really be in touch with their local town supervisors and village mayors to make sure that they were representing their district because no longer was it the actual town supervisors of the county running the county. It was the legislators, but they now covered more than one town and some of them split up towns. So they needed to make sure that they were meeting regularly with these supervisors. And while some legislators on their own are very good at that, some just don't have the time or don't make the time. So this idea of council of local governments was that at least quarterly, they would be meeting 
with a portion or the majority of the town supervisors and village mayors in Sullivan County to make sure that they kept their ear to the ground as to what was happening at the town and village level. I'm very pleased to say that this legislature had its first meeting of the Council of Local Governments yesterday. It was open to the public. It was audio recorded. That's available. Um, I think we're going to make that available online for uh, listening if you'd like to. There was no video recording, but there was audio. Uh, but basically, they talked about a number of very interesting, important topics. Of course, the Charter Review Commission was brought up, but they uh, also talked about uh, EMS in the county. It's a real critical issue right now. Sometimes ambulances take a long time or are hard to find, not only in getting people to the hospital, but getting people between hospitals. Yeah, our reporter, Marin Scott, had a Discussion with Alex Rao, the EMS and 911 coordinator for Sullivan County about the state of local EMS services uh, as a result of the New York State Association of Counties releasing a package of legislation titled Rescue EMS. Uh, that coalition, uh, along with uh, state lawmakers and other advocates, are saying that there is a state of crisis when it comes to EMS in the state of New York. Certainly is. Uh, I know with uh, a family member of mine. They uh, needed to transport her from Harris uh, down to Hackensack, I believe, fairly quickly. But there wasn't an ambulance available uh, at that time. They ended up having to chopper her down. It wasn't life or death at that point, uh, but the chopper had to be used, the helicopter, because there wasn't an ambulance available. That's how severe the crisis is. So we're working hard on that. We want to work hand-in-hand with the towns and the villages. They're talking about creating a full-time EMS coordinator position. Right now, Alex is, uh, splits his EMS coordinator position with his full-time 911 coordinator right. position. Uh, but they also talked about um, creating a, uh, a certificate of need, I guess is what it would be called with the state, which would allow ambulance corps to operate wherever they're needed in the county rather than to just stick to a particular predefined district. Um, and in a way that would not... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for, not try to mooch on somebody else's territory, but just make sure that if you need an ambulance, you're going to have an ambulance. I think there's plenty more to be talked about with that, and the Council of Local Governments is next going to meet in May. Uh, I'll be promoting that when that happens. But yesterday, we had 10 of the 15 town supervisors. One of the six villages was there. We hope to have even more participation next time. Most of the legislators were there. They talked about nutrition sites in the county that uh, they'd like to see return We after the pandemic. We were short-staffed with the volunteers and others, and it's been hard to bring some of those senior congregate nutrition sites back. We used to have 11. Now we have three. Um, there was uh, talk about how to address short-term rentals. It's sort of a patchwork of rules amongst the different towns. And the towns have that home rule. The county cannot force anything, but it should be a countywide holistic discussion. And then also the one that always comes up, but I think may finally end up having some sort of resolution this year, is about sharing sales tax revenue. The county has been collecting record amounts of sales tax and the town's uh, would like to see a piece of that. They say the majority of the other counties in the state share it. But, of course, on the county side, there's the big concern that if that's shared and then we run into fiscal distress, are we shooting ourselves in the foot at the county level? And, of course, the county covers all of Sullivan, not just particular towns. So there's going to be, I'm sure, a tug of war. Uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't say war. A tug of um, debate. Some tugging. Uh, some discussion and debate <laughs> about that between towns and the county and how to do that equitably and fairly. But I think the legislature is definitely interested in having that discussion. All right. We're going to take a quick break and be back more with more with uh, Dan Hoos, Sullivan County's communication director. Also, if you want to hear that conversation that Radio Catskill reporter Marin Scott had with Alex Rao, the EMS and 911 coordinator for Sullivan County about the state of local EMS services, just go to our website, WJFFradio.org. We'll be right back after a break. This is Radio Catskill. Last year, over 100,000 people died from drug overdoses driven by fentanyl. And the fastest growing group is under 19. Fentanyl is the number one cause of overdose in Sullivan County. Whether you're a parent or an educator, you can have the right conversation now to potentially save a kid's life. Protect kids from the dangers of fentanyl. More information and resources at naturalhigh.org. Paid for by Catholic Charities of Orange, Sullivan, and Ulster. 
Hey there, I'm Cassie of Rare Pair Radio. It's a weekly showcase of primarily female artists, but also a wide range of avant-garde musicians. I will be playing the fruit of post-punk, experimental, and fringe music, only on WJFF Radio Catskill. Rare Pair Radio, Friday at 8 p.m. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. We are speaking with Dan Hoost, the Communications Director of Sullivan County Government, about the latest from the legislature. I wanted to talk about what's going on with Head Start. Earlier in the week on Monday, uh, we spoke to John Little from Health and Human Services and also Laura Quigley from Community Resources in Sullivan County about the interim agency that's stepping in to take over for the nonprofit uh, Head Start that ceased operations. That agency, that temporary agency, is already working and getting things going? Yeah, it's called CDI. It stands for something, but I can't remember what the acronym stands for. But they're known as CDI. They are... Community Development Institute. Thank you. (laughs) Um, They contract with the federal government to do this, uh, to basically come in and, and... operate on a temporary basis any head starts that are in any kind of crisis or struggling or having some sort of uh, change in in contracts. So they're uh, an indispensable, I think, part of the federal Head Start program, and we're very pleased to be working with them. They have already been to all the buildings for Head Start and have been assessing them. Uh, You know, there's things that have to be parceled out. Whose equipment is whose? What's the federal government's? What's the local Head Start nonprofit's? Uh, how does it work with the building's utilities and what shape are they in? They all they want to get a, a complete and comprehensive understanding of the Head Start infrastructure and then also how Head Start operated in providing the services to its children. So I would say we're just a few weeks away from them reopening, maybe even sooner than that. I can't promise anything. I don't know for certain, but I do know that they are very cognizant of the deep need for these services and want to get those back as soon as possible. Well, when John Little was on, he was managing expectations, saying it might take about a month. So right. uh, good to know they're already on the ground. Could possibly be sooner. Yep. Depending on how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's ongoing training to build up first responder first responder ranks in the county. As we mentioned, the EMS uh, ranks are uh, there's a crisis in the state, and then uh, we need to build up all first responders. Yeah. And what this training is, this is this is unusual for our training center, at least how I think of it. Our training center is a place to train our firefighters, our EMS volunteers, our folks on, on how to respond to actual emergencies. This is a little different, although I guess you could say we're training them how to respond to an actual emergency. But the emergency is not a fire or somebody having a heart attack. The issue is we need volunteers. And how do we recruit and retain volunteers? So this was a a cool thing for me to read about where they actually bring in professional people who know about recruitment and retention to train our local leaders in fire and EMS on how to properly and most effectively recruit and retain those volunteers. Because the last thing you want to do is recruit somebody and then lose them for some silly reason or just constantly be hitting your head against the wall trying to recruit people and being ineffective because in the end, that's going to wear you out as well. So that's what these trainers were there to do with some of our local leaders in fire departments and EMS. And we're going to continue offering that training. And uh, I think this was the 101 version. We'll offer the 102 version coming up soon. And that's a wonderful thing to be using our training center for. Uh, also, a need for volunteers at RSVP. RSVP uh, dedicated to the the uh, older population, uh, offering opportunities there. Yes, it's actually under our Office for the Aging, uh, but uh, it's a very active and vivacious group of people who, like you said, are 55 and older. RSVP stands for Retired Senior Volunteer Program. Um, but I just like RSVP. Who needs to <laughs> to know about the acronyms there? It's run by a, a great guy, our director, Kevin Salavaria, and he is working very hard right now on the RSVP recognition luncheon that will be coming up sooner than, than we know. But he also needs lots of volunteers. Uh, I have uh, – I think we have some volunteers over at the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance where I'm board chair. We've uh, made some connections there. And the really nice thing about RSVP is unlike what – individual nonprofits may or may not be able to do. RSVP 
can provide um, insurance, stipends, um, travel reimbursement. It depends on the on the particular situation, mm-hmm. but they have a number of of perks, benefits, if you will, that they can offer that we can't offer. Uh, and so, I really encourage even all of our volunteers, anyone who's fifty five and older, if you're volunteering someplace. Talk to our RSVP folks. We may be able to to help make that volunteer burden a little lighter and give you some support and resources, even financially, that you wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and you can still volunteer at the place that you're volunteering. We're not telling you where to go and how to go. We work with you to say, where would you like to be? And if you don't know exactly where you want to be, they have a whole list of organizations that are always looking for volunteers and can put, plug you into a place maybe like JFF. We've had some so, lovely volunteers, mm-hmm. some key volunteers actually come from uh, RSVP. So it's a great program. Yep. So uh, Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so just get in touch with uh, Kevin Salavaria at our office for the aging. Uh, it's uh, 807 I wanted to mention You wanted to mention open access to services at DCS? Yes. DCS stands for Department of Community Services. That's right on our Liberty campus, um, basically in between the Travis Building, which is social services, and the care center, which, of course, is our adult care center, the care center at Sunset Lake. They offer all sorts of very needed services in the community, uh, mental health services, uh, even I, there were things like I was seeing there was uh, stuff like marital counseling, um, certainly uh, pediatric behavioral uh, help as well. Uh, if you have your kids who are, well, this is more for the, more beyond your teenagers just acting up and giving you a surly look. Uh, this is for folks who are really struggling with uh, their children and their behavioral issues. Um, we offer all these uh, services we have for a long time, but prior to the pandemic, we offered them uh, with extended hours and walk-in hours. Then we had to give up on that because post-pandemic, we did not have enough staff. Thankfully, we've slowly rebuilt that staff back and gotten past that employment crisis. So now, every Tuesday, uh, the Department of Community Services is open from past 5 o'clock till 8 p.m. at night. And then every Thursday morning from 9 to noon, our mental health clinic in there is open completely to walk-ins. Still recommend an appointment just to make sure that you get in as quickly as you want. But listen... If you're having a mental health crisis, you don't even have to wait for that 9 to noon uh, Thursday morning. Come in. We'll make sure that, that you're seen and assisted the way you need to be. But it's wonderful to say that that's there, especially the evening hours when people can't get there from 9 to 5. But every Tuesday from 5 to 8, we're still open. And celebrating winter with the Sullivan ONW Rail Trail Alliance, there's uh, that uh, fourth annual how do I say it? Snow or S N O N W? Snow and W. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's the way it's been put to me. But yeah, it's hard to figure that out. I'm isn't looking it? at it. I'm like, <laughs> oh, acronym, what does this acronym acronym stand for? Snow, Snow and the coupling of the of the rail trail, the the railroad that used to run there. It's called the O N W. That stood for the Ontario and Western Railway. The actual full name was New York Ontario and Western Railway. That ceased operating way back in 1957, and for a long time, those trails just were known maybe by a few locals, but they were overgrown. Now, of course, thanks to us, the Center for Discovery, other partners we have in the community, there are plenty yeah. of miles of this former rail bed that are now open to hiking and are beautiful. And we want people to be out there even when it's snowy out. You can bring snowshoes, snow boots. Um, sometimes, like in the Hurleyville area where this will be, sometimes we clear off a few things because we want it to be accessible to those who are differently abled. So we are going to be having a Snow and W event that we are planning through our oh, through our planning division uh, that will include uh, you can rent uh, snowshoes. Uh, or micro spikes, which I don't know exactly what those are. They sound uh, dangerous. Uh, but um, we're going to be doing that um, on uh, February 24th, Saturday, a week from this Saturday, at 10 a.m. at the Rail Trail in Hurleyville. That's the 
the one that actually is paved. Most of the rest of the trail isn't. But listen, we want snow on there, so we're going to have snowshoes and micro spikes and snow boots available so people don't slip and fall. Yeah, and participating fire departments in the Sullivan 180 Healthiest Fire Department Challenge Mm -hmm. will receive three points for attending with five or more active members. More information about that at SullivanONW.com and more information about what's going on with Sullivan County Government at SullivanNY.us. Dan Hoost, Communications Director, Sullivan County Government. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here as always. Take care. Have a great long weekend. You too. Uh, Speaking of snow, uh, the ice fishing tournament, the King of the Ice uh, tournament in White Lake and Conianca Lake was canceled due to inadequate ice conditions. But there's still something happening tomorrow. The Bethel Big Burn. We'll learn more about it right after a break. This is Radio Chatskill. Radio Catskill supporters include... Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association, SullivanCatskills.com, Catskill Brewery, brewing ales, lagers, and mixed fermentation beers in a LEED Gold certified building, plus a food truck and beer garden at exit 96 off Route 17 in Livingston Manor, CatskillBrewery.com, and listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. Hey, it's Steve Inskeep. And I'm Aisha Roscoe. One of the things you can count on from NPR and this station, we've got your back. When it comes to reporting the news, bringing you facts you can count on. You can help by donating a vehicle you no longer need. That car could be worth hundreds of dollars in support or more as a donation. Think about it. We accept any vehicle, running or not, including cars, trucks, boats, RVs, motorcycles, and more. Donate at WJFFRadio.org. This is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. The annual King of the Ice Fishing Contest on White Lake and Kanyanga Lake was canceled due to inadequate ice conditions, but its companion kickoff event is still happening this weekend. The Bethel Business Association is holding the first ever Bethel Big Burn tomorrow evening. It's at the Alton Distillery on Route 17B. It's a big bonfire with additional festivities, and Jason Dole spoke with James Lonnie, board member of the Bethel Business Association, to find out more. This is something that's done in Northern Europe, in the Scandinavian countries, where at the end of the winter, people put on a big bonfire. It's kind of a send-off to uh, Old Man Winter and a welcoming of the light of spring. Uh, what people do is they bring their old and unused Christmas trees together, they put them in a big pyre, and ignite it. <laughs> And uh, the flames, in many cases, you know, in Europe will go five or 600 feet into the air. Now, we're not going to do that this year. We're going to start a little bit smaller, but we are planning for this to be a a recurring annual ritual from now on in late winter, early spring to send off winter, which needs some sending off at this point. I think we all agree and uh, bring in uh, the light of spring. So it's not quite spring yet, but you're basically saying Okay, we're done with winter. Like, we're turning the corner. We're turning the corner here. <laughs> we're, we're trying to be optimistic. That's what right. we're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, um, and you're going to have live music, the Poison Love Band, food yep. by mm-hmm. Annie's Rough Cut, also some snacks A and protection. hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. Is yep. that, and, mm-hmm. and so this is, this is like an all-ages thing. It's open to the public, right? Absolutely. It's, uh, entrance is free of charge. Uh, we do recommend, because parking is somewhat limited there at the Alton Distillery on 17B, that you go online to the Bethel Business Association and get tickets uh, to this event. Um, there probably will be some spillover onto 17P. Uh, we think it will be quite spectacular, even from the road. We're going to have a White Lake Fire Department there with two big towers uh, arcing light over, pointing towards the flame. And, uh, yeah, we think it'll be quite a, a great kickoff to this thing that we hope will be going in 200 years. Quite frankly, we hope this will still be going. You've got big plans for this event. This is the first ever, and you're planning on there being more. And uh, yeah, that's a nice flat open area there of 17B, so people will really get to see this. Where'd the idea come from? Like, who who really said, okay, this, what we got to do is burn some Christmas trees? Like, like who said, hey, this is what they do in Europe. Let's do it here. This is me. You know, I was an international exchange student uh, back in the 1980s in Germany. 
and um, several times went to these kind of uh, uh, rituals, and um, they are really stunning. I mean, it's one thing to have a fire pit at home and have a flame that's three, uh, three feet tall. It's quite another to have something that's 60 or 100 feet tall. We did solicit Christmas trees from uh, the Bethel neighborhood just after Christmas. I think in succeeding years, we'll get more and more Christmas trees being handed into us. But, um, yeah, it, it's kind of something I was very, very impressed of, uh, impressed as, as a young man in, in Europe when I first saw it. This is happening again Saturday evening, and the event's going from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m., but the actual ignition of the pyre, and you're calling it a pyre, is uh, happening yep. at 6, right? 6 p.m. It'll be just about sundown. So it should be a lovely scene. We expect the, the fields will be covered with snow, stars will be going, coming out, and the flames will start to rise towards the sky. It yeah. should be quite something. What more could you want? We got some fire. Well, James, thank okay. you for talking to us. Thank you so much. Jason Dole speaking to James Lonnie of the Bethel Business Association. The Bethel Big Burn goes from 4 to 10 tomorrow at Alton Distillery. More information at Bethel Business Association's Facebook. This is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Catskill Art Space is celebrating Black History Month tomorrow with a multimedia evening of contemporary performance. Acclaimed musician Thurman Barker is presenting a lecture and performance of African-American composers, followed by a screening of DJ Spooky's multimedia film remix of Rebirth of a Nation. Barker and Paul D. Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, will also be in attendance for audience questions and talkback. I spoke to Thurman Barker about the event and the opportunities to reflect on the important artistic contributions of black artists while examining the historical and present day narratives around race and power in America. We are celebrating uh, Black History Month at uh, the Catskill Art Space. And um, Sally, the director, asked me to put something together last year and we, we just didn't have enough time. So fortunately, this time, um, I was able to work it into uh, my schedule, and I came up with an idea of uh, African-American composers then and now, and I'm tying this presentation into um, combining it with my new release uh, as of December 1st, my new uh, CD entitled Impact. And that music um, sort of really ties in to some of the composers I'm presenting. And um, come to find out, we have a long list of uh, uh, African-American composers in the uh, 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 1900s. Um, um, on up into the 20th century and the impact those folks had, such as um, Harry T. Burley, um, Coldridge, uh, Samuel Coldridge Taylor. He's a British composer. Tim, doing this research, I have really discovered uh, something uh, really unique, which is the same thing I've been working with myself in terms of composition, and that is um, fusing um, um, jazz into Western classical music. And I say that because many jazz musicians, um, um, I was born in... Uh, I came up in the 60s, and many uh, jazz musicians um, um, who had an impact on the music, uh, they, were all, they all studied classically. They were uh, trained, including myself, by classical musicians. And, but yet and still, I have found that when we start composing, it's very difficult to get away from our African-American heritage, which is the music that we, most of us have come up with, which is in the church. So um, the composers in the 19th century that I'm uh, going to be talking about, and even myself, which represents the now, 
we're still dealing with that aspect of of the music and um which is in myself jazz which is uh improvisation is a big part of uh, of jazz but even as early as the musicians in the the African American musicians of the 1900s they found a way to fuse jazz into um, um, their uh, uh, Western classical training when they're presenting. So that's the crust of my talk on Saturday, is the fusing, um, uh, being trained by Western classical or European concept in uh, Western classical music, and finding a way to combine your African-American heritage to uh, the music you're doing. So through the course of your research, did one particular composer impact you more than others based on you know your experience and also what you learned from that composer's experience? Well, yes, two of them. Uh, William Grant Still, uh, was one because he actually, uh, uh, um, I guess, yeah, he represents, well, he goes back to the Harlem Renaissance. He's very close to the Harlem Renaissance in New York. Um, um, William Grant Steele, I think his instrument was oboe, but what I found astou- uh, astounding was that he still uh, uh, composing in the European um, uh, tradition, but he found a way to include um, blues inflections into his compositions. So he's one. Um, the other composer I'm uh, uh, presenting is uh, Harry T. Burleigh which is earlier. He goes back, uh, I think, in the late 1800s. And uh, he drew from sources um, such as um, spirituals. He's a singer, number one. Harry T. Burleigh is a singer, which also I was impressed with the fact I personally don't know many singers who were composers that had an impact on uh, the music. Uh, but um, I was impressed with the fact that Harry T. Burley, um, um focused on developing his work and um, the uh, spirituals and actually published a, uh, a book of um, um, a book on um, African-American spirituals, a whole book of hymnals that he composed on uh, spirituals. So those two um, had a profound impact in my research. And um, so it's it's actually been very educational as I dive into uh, these composers and and about their music. The other, uh, 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 there's one woman I'm uh, uh, presenting, and her name is uh, Florence Price, and she's the uh, first African American woman who had a um, um, who had her um, piece performed by the uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic. Also, um, uh, William Grant Still was the first African-American to conduct the Los Angeles Philharmonic back in the early 1930s at the Hollywood Bowl, um, which I did not know. So so that's what I uh, was able to take away from these composers that I'm presenting and um, and also bringing folks aware to um, my new release uh, as a composer myself uh, who have been um, 
working with fusing uh, my music um, into the um, uh, uh, Western European classical music. Now, right after your presentation and performance, Paul Miller, a.k.a. DJ Spooky, is presenting his multimedia film remix of Rebirth of a Nation. Uh, also right. there at Cass, had, had you worked with uh, Paul before? No, I have not. This, it, it's a treat that we're on the same bill. And it also, Tim, it also shows what we're doing over at uh, CAS. Um, uh, you know, our new building opened up last fall. And um, so I was able to be um, in, um, I mean, you know, trying to get this open. I was serving on the Arts Council at CAS. Uh, I'm serving on the Arts Council at CAS, and we've been in the, working trying to get this off the ground for about three years, and it's really wonderful to see it come to fruition. And for me, it's uh, a big deal to be a part of uh, uh, being able to present this program during uh, Black History Month. So, no, this is my first time working with Paul, and I'm looking. I'm looking forward to. Uh, um, Checking them out. You're a professor emeritus of Bard College in music and jazz studies, uh, committed to music education, committed to keeping music alive for future generations. Uh, This this presentation uh, is also part of that commitment, too, right? No doubt about it, Tim. Uh, um, I found it very rewarding to be associated uh, with um, an institution such as Bard. And uh, after 30 years of being there, uh, 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 they continue to thrive on uh, uh, um, uh, building up uh, our young folks and getting uh, our young people into uh, being thinkers and creative folks. And uh, yes, I have uh, uh, made a commitment, and and I'd like to be a part of. Uh, I look at myself and make it a difference because people. Um, um, I'm living on the shoulders of people who have marched and died and really struggled to be able to. Um, um, Make sure that African Americans are have a platform to present their music, their culture, um, and um, so I just would like to continue uh, being a part, not only uh, uh, of the music, but uh, really in in this community. Um, I grew up in my community on the south side of Chicago, and I was able to go out in the community and hear jazz. I would like to do the same thing here in Sullivan County. I would like for our young people to be able to go out, I mean, and to appreciate this music that has, that's American and was born right here on our own shores. And uh, young people should uh, have the opportunity to experience and to have an understanding of the music that was born here. I travel to Europe all the time. And uh, um, uh, young folks and and families go out to attend and hear jazz together as a family. And I would like to, uh, uh, to see some of that happen here in America, as opposed to, you know, um, it's not, you don't have access to it. And if you want access to it, you have to travel all the way down to New York City and you got to deal with, which is okay. But sometimes folks makes it it's a little difficult for people to get down there to appreciate uh, music that they don't get here. And this is what we're trying to do at CAS is make sure that um, we present some quality programs for people to uh, be engaged and to be inspired and to be able to grow and develop and have an appreciation for the music of jazz. 
Well, you can catch it right here in our backyard at Catskill Art Space, Saturday at 4, African-American Composers Then and Now is a lecture and performance, which will be presented by Thurman Barker at 4, followed by a screening of DJ Spooky's Multimedia Film Remix, Rebirth of a Nation at 5.30. Both events at the CAS Second Floor River Gallery. More information at CatskillArtspace.org and more information about Mr. Thurman Barker at UpDProductions.com. Thurman, thank you so much for joining us, and thanks for all the great music that you're bringing to us right here in our in our area. Well, thank you, Tim, and also an addendum to that, and that is my trio is also performing. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to get that in now. Thank you, Tim, for the opportunity. All right, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, get out your glow sticks. We're going to Electric Mountain. This is Radio Chatskill. Sullivan County has two warming centers that are open to all every night this winter. The Liberty Shelter is located at the United Methodist Church on North Main Street, and the Monticello Shelter is located at St. John's Episcopal Church on St. John Street. These shelters are open for anyone from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. every night through Saturday, April 15th. More information at sullivanny.us. And keep listening for winter weather updates on Radio Catskill. How we make sense of the news and the world keeps changing. Who to trust and what's real are other moving targets. Let On the Media be your guide. Saturday afternoon at 4. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. We're debuting some new locally produced shows this week. Electric Mountain with Jeff Barnes is the best in electronic dance music from back in the day to today. Jeff will present some great EDM house, techno, and more. Two hours of music to make you move on a Saturday night into Sunday morning. It's Saturday at midnight or Sunday morning at midnight, however you refer to it. Uh, Jeff is going to spin for the first hour and then bring out a special guest DJ every week for the second hour. Let's take a listen. And Jeff Barnes joins us now. You've got us moving already. It's All right. not even I, midnight and we're going. It's Friday. Let's dance. <laughs> <laughs> it's the weekend. Let's talk about this show. Um, how did this kind of come about for you? Um, we, you know, we've been interviewing the folks that are doing the new shows. Yeah. Uh, yesterday we had Virtual Soundscapes, Matt Hurtado, the video game music show, and conversations with industry professionals. He works Sounds in amazing. the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you work in the dance industry? I don't no, think you do. I'm, I'm industry adjacent, <laughs> yeah. I would say. <laughs> Look, I'm just a lover of electronic music. I mean, since, you know, since the 80s, I'm showing my age, but, you know, I like the synth pop stuff. Uh, you know, electro, electric kind of oriented uh, music, all like synth everything, like in the 80s. I was that kind of, and then it just, that just went into naturally into kind of dance music in the 90s. Um, I would go out a lot. I've been, you know, all over the place. I've seen a lot of, a lot of good shows. Um, <laughs> but what prompted it though was, was Radio Catskill. When I moved here five years ago, um, Radio Catskill, our, our uh, studio used to be at the bottom of the hill where I live. Right, the old studio in Jeffersonville. The old studio in Jeffersonville uh, is right at the bottom of the hill. And, you know, one of the first shows I heard uh, was Trance on the Porch on, you know, Saturday nights, which is, you know, now not in production anymore. Right. <laughs> but, but I really appreciated it. I love that. I love to hear, you know, just an, a very unexpected uh, music coming from a very unexpected source right at the bottom of my hill. And I was like, oh, my God, that's that's amazing. Well, good on you for bringing electronic dance music back to Radio Catskill and to my to pleasure. everybody. And uh, we're, we were talking about this uh, before we started uh, with the interview was that it's on at midnight, yep. a Saturday night, Sunday morning. Uh, yes. But, uh, you know, that's <laughs> it's hard to explain. It's, hard to, it's like, been being hard to explain. To don't people. listen like, tonight. It's Sunday morning, <laughs> right. and people are like, "It's Sunday night." Yeah, <laughs> don't with the grammarian. The, yeah. the but yeah, it's the perfect yeah. time for this yes. kind of music. Absolutely, yeah. People just want to dance and cut loose, and you know, um, you know, it's it's the wee hours of of the middle of the weekend. You know, what else are you going to do? You know, just. Put it on and you'll have some great dance music. So you're, you're doing the first hour and then you That's have right. these guest DJs coming in for right. the second hour. Tell us about the yeah. guest DJs and how you're finding those folks to come in. Um, it's, that's how I'm adjacent. You know, I have a lot of friends in the industry and, you know, and just know a lot of DJs. You know, I just, you know, from living in New York and from going out a lot and from, you know, just a history and, and friends and connections. Um, I just happen to know, you know, a wide, a very, surprisingly diverse. When I started thinking about it more, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I know a lot of people who could do this. So. <laughs> 
Um, and they're very, uh, they love doing it. They absolutely are, are thrilled to be able to contribute to something up here. Again, it's the unexpected thing. It's like, oh, wow, I get to do a cool thing up here. You know, that's not really, you know, that's not around much. I mean, that's a, we, there is a history here, though. Yeah. That we can get into. Well, this is yeah. this is a clip of yep. one of the guest DJs. Who, who's... Fabulous. Uh, Bare Naked. I am Bare Naked is his um, Insta. Um, he is a great, great DJ. He's uh, a resident at the world-famous Eagle nightclub um, in New York. And he's a traveling DJ. But he's fabulous. He has a very diverse kind of uh, take and, and just... You know, plays all sorts of great music. This music, is, yeah. this is like this is the harder. music you're going to hear at one o'clock. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> all right, what were you talking about the history? The- yeah, uh, there's a really great history of, of dance music here. Jason and I have been talking about it. You know, there was a, a festival here about 20 years ago. I forget the name of it. There's a current one uh, called Sustain Release, which is uh, in Monticello, which is Camp Kennybrook. They they camp out there for a whole weekend, um, and it's a big you know a big festival. It's like. And it's kind of like an insider's, um, you know, uh, uh, festival. I mean, it's really, really edgy, like cool DJs that all come up to Monticello um, every September. And, you know, I tried to I tried to get in two years ago and I was rebuffed at the <laughs> at the gate. So you weren't you know, allowed. No, no, no. Well, they're, they're very selective about who they who they bring in. I'm telling you, it's it's a very selective thing. Um, it's a very cool thing. But, you know, there's a there's a history here. There's there's been parties in the past, you know, over over, you know, there was one planned, I think, five years ago during COVID yes, and it was I canceled. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you have tons of New Yorkers here. And and, you know, I mean, let's be honest, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of ex New Yorkers here who, you know, um, and that's part of the theme, too, is that, you know, electronic music have been around for so long now that all of us, a lot of us have grown up with it. And, yeah. you know, uh, so you have, you know, people who are, you know, young um, and older, you know, who who all love electronic music. I mean, well, you see all these memes of like, you know, older people dancing at the festivals and, you know, so. Well, it's not only festivals. It's, it's a huge industry. Yeah. A lot of uh, famous DJs. There oh, are yeah. DJs in residency yeah. at Las Vegas. Uh, you know, Calvin oh. Harris, Skrillex. Yeah. Uh, David Guetta, like yeah. you now add to that Jeff Barnes. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> I'm bringing us a flavor. I'm bringing us some good, some good solid music uh, to dance to. All but, right. Uh, well, that's yeah. it's it's good. I'm glad that you're bringing it back, and I'm glad to know that this uh, started with you discovering it here and wanting to amazing. bring it back. It all comes full circle. Yes, amazing. Uh, let's amazing. remind folks when when you're on Saturday nights, Sunday mornings, whichever you want to look at it, midnight <laughs> to two a.m. So all yeah. right. Every, each and every week. So you'll be able to get into one of those festivals now. You'll just I go up and like, hey, so. I'm the host of Electric Mountain. Be. Hey. <laughs> I would love them to do some guest DJ sets. That would be amazing. Do you know who I am? Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, All right, cool. Thank you so much for Thank for you so much, Jim. Thank you for having me on. It, and again, uh, debuting this weekend. So yep. so we're thrilled to have you here, uh, especially with the, the other guys that are coming in too. Uh, we've heard from Matt Hurtado, yep. Mark Partridge. Uh, this week debuting these new shows, Exciting. all locally produced, and all great you're shows. following um, you're following old school sessions, which is I moving am up. Honored. I hope they're okay. Is, like I, yes. I, I assumed that they wanted that. they wanted a little more sleep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, Perfect. Perfect. But, so, okay. for, as folks don't know, from seven a.m. starting with Callison Stratton and Liberation Statement uh, Station wow, at seven okay. p.m. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then at eight, it's old school sessions for four hours, yeah. and then your show, Electric Mountain, awesome. for two hours from seven p.m. to two a.m. All locally produced awesome. music. How it here. Me. Can't get it anywhere else. You have to listen to Radio Catsco. That's amazing. All right, amazing. So glad to be part of it. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. That's all for this edition of Radio Chatskill. Program note, we're off on Monday, but listen for a special BBC News special, Witness Black History. It's a special edition of Witness from the BBC, bringing together some of the incredible interviews looking at the African-American experience told by people who were there. We'll hear stories that are fascinating, harrowing, and inspiring. That's Monday morning at 10. I'm Tim Bruno. Thanks for listening. Let's uh, go out with a little bit more dance music from Electric Mountain. Support for Radio Catskill comes from JeffWorks Office Solutions, located right on Main Street in Jeffersonville, New York.
a newly renovated pet-friendly office space that rents by the day, week, or month with hot desks, sound-insulated rooms, Wi-Fi, modern amenities, and 24-hour secure access. Online at jeffworksjville.com and from The Cooperage Project, thecooperageproject.org and listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. On this week's On the Media, for years, big tech has made promises to news outlets of a more profitable business model. Remember the pivot to video? Every news organization is desperate for the next thing, anything that might provide future revenue streams. That's a serious danger, and I think it's returning with AI. Journalism in an AI world. On the next On the Media from WNYC. Saturday afternoon at 4 on Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello, streaming live at WJFFradio.org. This is Radio Catskill Local News, Culture, and NPR. The forecast, mostly cloudy today and windy, a high of 33. Uh, clouds tonight uh, with a bit of snow toward dawn with little or no accumulation, low 21. And for the weekend, it looks to be breezy and cloudy. Snow showers possible tomorrow, high 28. Sunday's high 31. On Point is next, and it's Friday. Science Friday starts at 2.00.